Okay, so some of you, you don't want to stop being friendly. I'm just going to give you a little assignment. At the end of the gathering today, before you leave the house, before you leave the room, I want you to say hi to 17 people. <laughs> if you're an accountant, you can count and keep track. If you're not, just do more than, more than that just so you know you accomplish the goal. Good? Yes. All right, how was Thanksgiving for you guys? Good, good, fantastic. I'm glad it was awesome. That's really good. And you guys in the family room, good morning next door in the family room. Good to see you guys. Everybody here is cheering for you. That's cool. How was your family room? How was your family room in the Thanksgiving? Anyway, you know what I meant, right? But I didn't hear you. All right, so anyway, good to see you guys next door. Uh, so let's see. My, my uh, Thanksgiving, I almost said my family room again. My family room was great in my Thanksgiving. We had 30 people over. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic, man. Somebody asked me last night, they go, you know, how, how much drama is there with 30 people? Like zero. So great. It was just good. So we had a good time. So two weeks ago when I was with you last, uh, I told you about Donna, my wife, and her health issues and things that are, she's going through. And uh, I just want to give you a little update. She's progressing very, very well in the treatment process and, uh, yeah, doing good, doing good recovery. So, yeah, so it's really cool. So thank you so much for your prayers for her. That matters a ton to us. You know, we believe that God answers those prayers. He hears and he answers. And he's saying yes for her is what it looks like. So it's really good news. So uh, keep praying for her as we walk through that journey together. Okay, and that would be awesome. I want to pray for us together today, and then we're going to look into Scripture. Deal? Yes. Deal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your goodness to us. Uh, it's unimaginable to me how much you love us and how you have taken steps to show us that love through Jesus. So thank you for that. Thank you for him. Lord, thank you for our friends being all together here today uh, in the church, uh, in the building. We're grateful that your church is gathered in the building and we have come to you with hearts of thanksgiving. Uh, we do that because you know, our culture says we're supposed to, but we do it much more so because we know who you are and we know that you're good. And you are fully worthy of our thanks. And so we give that to you today. Lord, as we open up uh, your book, I pray that you would open up your heart to us. We open up ours to you. We want to engage with who you are. We want you to shape us uh, to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We want you to, to um, pour out your grace into us and pour out your grace on us and pour it out through us to others. That's what we want. And so lead us in that uh, process, please, together today. Father, we seek you out through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So has your life ever been changed by a bathroom book? You know, I know they don't talk about this in church. You know, whoever talks about this stuff in church, but like, really, has your life ever been changed through a bathroom book? You know bathroom books, right? They're like, they're like coffee table books, only smaller. You know, coffee table books have big pictures, you know, and that's not so much in the bathroom book. One day I was visiting some friends, and, uh, and they had a book on the back of the toilet. I'm like, cool, reading material, this is great. I'm going to take advantage. So, and uh, so th this little book was like a book of modern Proverbs. So we have the book of Proverbs in the Scripture. That's not what this was. It was like modern-day Proverbs. And I'm reading through, you know, and I, I found a gem in this little bathroom book that literally changed my life. It goes like this. Always buy whatever kids are selling at a sidewalk stand. 
Wow, some of you guys are naturals at this, right? That was like revelatory to me. I'm like, what a concept. How cool is that? So kids, you know, kids, I'm going to sell something. I'm going to make a million bucks and, you know, people are going to buy my lemonade. I'm like, really buy something every time you come across a child's sidewalk stand? I thought that was the greatest idea I'd ever heard. So I, I'm like, I'm going to do it. So, and it's really dangerous because, you know, you're driving down the street in the neighborhood, all of a sudden you don't see it till you go past it because it's just little tiny stands. So you drive past it and then you go throw it in reverse and you back up and then you back o- up over the lemonade stand. It's not good. <laughs> so it's a little bit dangerous. But I've, I've just learned when I see one, I, I pull over and I get out and I, I have paid more money for more bad cups of lemonade <laughs> than, you, than you can imagine. And, you know, they never give you a lid. I'm in a car here, dude. I'm in a car. I, got, I need a lid. They don't ever give you a lid, you know. So I'm driving down the street and I'm tasting this lemonade. And then it's, in, it's inevitably awful because, you know why? Because they're watering it down because they're trying to make a profit. <laughs> Five-year-old kid, man, water it down. Make more money. So, you know, I've gone around the corner and poured it out outside the car because it's just bad. But, you know, I, that's just, it's changed my life. A little bathroom book proverb. And, and, and the way I think of it is like this, a, a rule of generosity has changed my life. A rule. And I'm kind of a rule keeper anyway, but I didn't have to keep this one. No one's keeping track if I'm keeping this one. I just, I liked it. I'm like, that's a beautiful gift to give to a child. One day I pulled up to a, a little lemonade stand that this kid had, and, and uh, I get out of the car. You know, I'm asking about his lemonade, and does it have pulp? It never has pulp, you know, it has powder, but that's all right. And I'm asking about his lemonade, and, and I go, how much is the lemonade? He goes, 25 cents. Like, it's, like, expensive, you know. I'm like, oh, man, all I have is a dollar. I'm like, I'm, I'm like can I give you a dollar for the cup of lemonade? Is that okay? He takes my dollar, and he holds it up in his, in his hand like this. And he runs all the way to the porch because there's always a mom or dad on the porch. Always. That's how it works, right? Checking it out, making sure the kid's making money. I mean, checking out and making sure the kid's safe, you know, stuff like that. So he takes this dollar bill and he runs back up to the front porch. He goes, mom, 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 he gave me a dollar. And I instantly realized that I had changed that child's life. I had made him rich. He was suddenly richer than I had ever been. I, ne- I don't, you know, I never had a lemonade stand. I could have made money. And he's rich. Because there was this little rule that I found in a bathroom book of Proverbs that said, always buy whatever children are selling at a sidewalk stand. What would happen if your life could be changed by a rule of Generosity. Some of you are generous by nature. Some of you, do you notice that? There are people around you in your life, in your circle. There are people that are just generous by nature. Some of you are generous by nature. And I have to, I just tell you, I am in awe of you. I have great respect for you. I don't know how you do it. Because generosity seems to come so hard to me. You know, it's like I have short arms, you know. <laughs> or like, I don't know. It's like, oh, I, I, here I can pay for that lunch. No, you, you, I just, it's hard for me, you know. And. Some of us, some of, some of you apparently grew up with a, with a mindset of generosity, but some of us didn't grow up that way. And my uh, way of seeing the world, my filter or grid through which I see the world is a grid of scarcity very often. Like, I'm not going to have enough for tomorrow. I better eat everything I've got today because I might not have more food tomorrow. Who, who thinks that way? Oh, a lot of us do. 
I can't give any money to somebody else because I might not have enough tomorrow. I got enough today, but I might not have enough tomorrow. So we take what we have and we squeeze it tightly. We hold on to it tightly because we don't want it to get away because we're not sure we're going to have enough for tomorrow. And so some of us, instead of living out a law of generosity, we live out a life of scarcity. And it shapes our character. It shapes the way we live our life. What if your life could be changed by a rule of generosity? There is a rule like that. There is a law like that. Do you have your copy of God's law with you today? Oh, yeah, we don't, really, you don't, we don't usually call it that, right? But God's law is in the Bible. Do you have a copy of the Bible with you today? Yeah, pull it out and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And I want you to see a, a, a rule or a law of generosity. You may not have thought about it before, may not have come across this before, but let's just talk about a rule of generosity that might be able to change your life. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 24. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the chairs next to you at the end of your row. You can grab one of those, have someone pass it to you. Uh, if those are taken, if you've got your smartphone, we've got notes on the YouVersion Bible app. So you can check that out. Uh, you go, to U, go to YouVersion. Go to uh, mm, the section that says more. Go to the section that says events. And you'll see Lakeside Church with today's date. And you can check that out there if you like to. Or you can just follow along and... Uh, and listen, and I'll tell you what it says. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. Moses writes this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. What if a rule of generosity could change your life? Now, I think probably we should translate this a little bit. We, sh we, should, we should put some meaning into this verse. Because when was the last time you can remember being in your field and overlooking a sheaf? <laughs> How many of you know what a sheaf is? When you, a sheaf, when you make sheaf plural, it's now sheaves. And all I can think of when I think of that is that old uh, religious camp meeting song. Some of you grew up in a place where they did these like religious camp meeting songs. Anybody? There's this song, there's this song, so it's called Bringing in the Sheaves. You know that one? It's a celebration song, like, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. It's a beer song. <laughs> I, everyone thought it was a church. It's, a, it's like, where do we get these things? And so when I think about bringing in sheaves, that's all I can think of. I'm not, I, I'm not even on the right track. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf. Okay, we've got to talk about a lot there because we don't do any of that stuff anymore. So harvest is a time of celebration. There's been a lot of work done to get to the place of harvest. And now we brought everything in. It's in the barn. It's safe. We're going to send it out to market. We're going to make a lot of money. We're going to be really happy. And the work is done. Now we get to go through the winter and relax. We're like, it's celebration time. 
three of the major feasts in the nation of Israel were, were feasts around the harvest. And they were pilgrim feasts. So when Passover came around, it always came at the end of the barley harvest. Then people would go to Jerusalem to celebrate. And when Passover rolled around, it came at the end of the wheat harvest. Then people would go to Jerusalem to celebrate. And when the grapes were ripe, at the end of the grape harvesting season, they would go and celebrate the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. So there's these great celebrations in Israel, and they were harvest parties. We do harvest parties today, but nobody knows what they really are. They're about bounce houses and pumpkins and things. But... That's not what they used to be. They were about harvest, and harvest was about celebration because the work got done. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, when you overlook a sheaf, okay, what's a sheaf? It's, it's not like sheep misspelled. A, sh- a sheaf is a bundle of grain. Now, when they, when they were doing the harvesting process, there was a lot of work, and they were doing it in the heat of the day, and so there's, it's a hot, bat-breaking, sweaty job, and several teams would go through a field to accomplish a harvest. First team that would come through the field were the people that were called reapers. And they'd come in with sharp sickles, and they'd swing it through their field, and they'd cut off the grain right at the bottom of the stalk, and the grain would fall over. The reapers go through, and when they got done going through, the, the sheaf binders would come in. And I don't know if that's like the technical term for it, but, the, but, they, but they would bind up the stalks of grain into a bundle, and they called it a sheaf. Then after the sheaf binders would come in, then the next people would come in. They were called the picker-uppers. That's a technical term. They'd come through, and they'd pick, they'd pick it up. And they put it in the cart, and they'd call it in the, from, the, from the cart down into the barn. they put it in the barn until they were ready to take it to the market. And there was all this work. When they got all this work done, then they'd celebrate. Now, Moses writes, if you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, means you left one in the field. It was an accident. You just, you just you skipped over it. Maybe you, got, you had an abundant crop that year, and so you skipped over that one. You didn't really see it, and it all looks the same when it's on the ground, so it's maybe hard to, to tell it was there. You overlooked a sheep. Now, sheep, not a sheep, a sheaf, a bundle. You overlooked a bundle of grain. What would you do if that were you and you were the farmer and you, and you found out you overlooked a bundle of grain in the field? What would you do? Go back and pick it up. That's what you, hey, we got one out there. You, you don't leave money on the table, right? A sheaf is a bundle of money. It's a bundle of wheat, which translates into money. You don't leave that on the table. You go back and get it. Here's what God says. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. The Hebrew word for go back is the word shuv. It's the word that we almost always translate repent. Repent just means to go back. This is so weird because God says to the people of Israel, don't repent. And here we always thought this whole journey with Jesus, he was like, hey, you got to repent, you got to turn around. He goes, in this case, don't repent, don't go back, leave it there for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. And then God says, I can bless you. Now, it's weird because they overlooked it on accident. God says, I want you to leave it there on purpose. I want you to care for the poor 
on purpose. I want you to care for the outsider on purpose. I want you to care for the widows on purpose. I want you to care for the fatherless on purpose. You overlooked it by accident. I want you to leave it there on purpose. Why? Why would God ask you to do that? Well, I think it's because you are never more like God than when you give. You cannot be more like God than when you give. Now, there are other things that rise to that level that that also make you like God in your character and in your behavior. But you cannot be more like God than you are when you give to others. And when you intentionally leave it and you leave it for others, God gives you a blessing because you left it there eventually on purpose. He says, I want you to do that because that makes you like me. Then you are like me. Now, in this passage, here's how he describes it. In verse 22, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. All right, let's just stop with that. Do you remember that time we were slaves in Egypt? How many of you have been to Egypt? Yeah, one tourist. Were you a slave? Were you a slave there? No, no, you weren't a slave. No, you don't remember a time you were slaved in Egypt because you never were one. So that's not really helpful. Hey, when you're harvesting and you overlook a sheep, don't go back and get it. Leave it there for the foreigner and all those guys. Why? Because you were slaves in Egypt. That's not helpful to me because I wasn't one. You weren't one. What's he saying? Well, to the Israelites, he's saying, look, when you were slaves of Egypt and I brought you out, I demonstrated generosity to you. This is all about generosity. Here's the law of generosity. And I demonstrated generosity to you when I brought you out of Egypt. Do you remember? And they're all like, yeah, 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 we remember. But we don't remember. That doesn't help us because we weren't in that situation. The word Deuteronomy which is the name of this book that we're reading. Deuteronomy means second law. It literally means the second giving of the law. So when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and and God rescued them and brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, he gave them the law twice. He gave them the law one year after they got out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they ended up at Mount Sinai and God gave them the Ten Commandments and all the rest of the law. In the book of Leviticus, he gave them the law the first time. And then 40 years later, after wandering around in the wilderness and 40 years of disobedience to God, then they're ready to go into the promised land. And now he gives them the law again, a second time. That's Deuteronomy. But the first time he gave them the law, that was in the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus, he says it differently. Same law, but he says it a little bit differently. He says it this way. When you, this is Leviticus 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field. Or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Don't reap to the edges. When an ox would, would pull a plow, they would go, just like tractors do today, they'd go down a line of the, of the field, then they'd do a curve and come back the other direction. But that, that left the edges. He says, don't take the edges. And don't pick up the gleanings. That's the stuff that got out of the sheaf that didn't quite get in the, into the bundle of grain. Don't pick that up either. Leave it for the poor and for the foreigner. Why? He said, because I am the Lord your God. 
It's about God's heart. It's about God's character. And it's about that character being developed in you and in me. See, he gives us the law of generosity so that it will shape us. He gives us the law of generosity so that it will change our lives. So when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Leave it. That word, that Hebrew word literally means, it, you, could, you could translate it, let it be. It's a Beatles song. <laughs> oh, that'll help you remember it. Let it be. Let it be. Now, it's fascinating. Leave it means let it be. And the word Yahweh, the name that God gave to his people when he said, hey, when, when, when Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? And he said, well, tell him I am that I am. That's Yahweh. That's his name. That's God's memorial name. Yahweh means I am. Leave it means let it be. Yahweh means I am. And those are both forms of the word to be. And what God's saying is, this is my character. This is who I am. This is who I want you to be. Leave it on the ground. And then I will bless you. My daughter has a a dog. And uh, he's a very needy dog. He's about three or four years old. And he's a wired-haired vishla. And he is the neediest animal in the animal kingdom. <laughs> he weighs about, I think, 60 pounds. And he's a lap dog. <laughs> or he thinks he's a lap dog. And uh, so, so, you know, you'll be sitting on the, I'll be sitting on the couch. they got the dog over the house. You know, I'll be sitting on the couch. And the, and the dog come up, put his rear end on my lap. And his front paw is on the floor. It's like, I'm not on the couch. Just wants to be with me. And so then when I'm eating dinner, he comes over and his and his nose is like table height, which I don't know why God designed dogs to be table height, some of them. But he is. And so he comes up to my plate, he wants to eat off my plate because he thinks he's human. And so my daughter and my son-in-law, they 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 did some training with him. They did a lot of training to kind of keep him from doing this stuff at the table. So he comes over to my plate, they look at my face and my plate, and they're like, this is not gonna go well. It's not going to end well. And so they just say to Dexter, the dog, leave it. Two words. Boom, leave it. Dexter backs away from the food. Ooh, that's good. Now you've got, you've got a sheaf on the ground. You've got money on the table. And God goes, leave it. And you back away. Is that how it works? That's how it's designed to work. That's God giving to us a law of generosity that is designed to change our lives. And of course, if it changed our lives, it would also change the lives of the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. It would change us if we would just get that one law of generosity into our heart. And not by accident, but on purpose. There's a story of a man in the scriptures, his name is Boaz. His story is told in what's called the book of Ruth. I think of Ruth as the gospel of the foreigner. So here's Ruth. She's a woman from a nation called Moab. It was to the east of Israel. And she had married the son of a husband and wife who had traveled to Moab because there was a famine in Israel. So they get to Moab. This woman, Ruth, marries one of the sons. Another woman named Orpah marries the other son. And eventually the father and the son and the next son all died. Now it's three widows left behind. 
And eventually, Naomi, the mother-in-law, says to her two daughters-in-law, she said, I'm going back to Israel. There's nothing for me here in Moab. I'm, I'm going home. She said, you guys go back to your parents. I'm going home. So Orpah takes off. She says, goodbye. She goes back to her family. But Ruth says, Naomi, I'm not leaving you. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lie down, I'm lying down. Wherever you stay, that's where I'm staying. Your God will be my God. That's it. So she stayed with her. So they went back to Israel. But when they got there, Ruth and Naomi were dirt poor. They had nothing. They had no land. They had no field. They had no way to make money. So Ruth took a basket and she went out into a field and she began to follow along behind the reapers and the, and the sheaf binders and the picker-uppers. She's out there picking up the grains in the field and she's putting them in her basket. She's not getting very much. But it turns out that the field that she's gleaning in where she's picking up the scraps is owned by this man named Boaz. And Boaz had this passionate heart for God and for his law and he had God's law of generosity planted into his heart. And he went out and he saw that Ruth was gleaning behind his farm workers. And he said to his workers, he said, hey, that woman that's back there, don't disturb her. Don't mock her. Don't do mean things to her. Don't treat her badly. But let her glean behind you. I know she's a foreigner, but let her glean behind you. In fact, when you've got a sheaf and you're ready to put it on the cart, pull some of the grain out of the sheaf and put it on the ground and let her pick it up. Because he had the law of generosity written in his heart. He said, we're going to do that on purpose. And he changed the course of the nation of Israel by what he did in kindness and generosity for this woman, Ruth. Who eventually became the uh, great grandmother of King David. Changed history by his act of generosity. Because he did it on purpose. And God blessed him. What if a law of generosity could change your life? And what would that law look like in our generation today? Because it's different today than it was 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It's different. What would it look like today? I think it would look like this. Every time you harvest, leave some for others. Every time you harvest... Leave some for others. You go, no, 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 we don't ever harvest. Yes, you do. Every other week. If you work for the government, once a month. You, you harvest. You harvest every time you have a paycheck. Every time you have payday, you harvest. Now, it's weird because in our generation, nobody ever looks over, overlooks a sheaf in their paycheck on accident. Why? Because most of you get paid by automatic deposit. Boom, it just goes in. You didn't miss a sheaf on the ground. It just goes into your account. So you can't do this accidentally. You have to do it on purpose. You have to make a decision. The law of generosity will be in my heart. I will live it out. And when you make that decision on purpose, then it begins to change your life. Every time you harvest, leave some for others. Donna and I decided to do this when we were very young. Before we ever got married, we, we decided, because we'd been coached by some of our spiritual leaders, we decided we're going to take some of every paycheck and we're going to put it off to, into a fund to give it to others. 
We called it a tithe. It was something we gave to the church so that the church could use that to bless others. And so we gave that to the church. When we got married, we started talking about our finances. I said, hey, honey, I, I, I give money out of my paycheck every week. I give it to the church because I set that aside in advance. She goes, I do the same. Like, oh, this is going to be easy then. It's, it's really easy when you start when you're 19 years old. It's harder when you start later. But it's possible for everyone to say, every time I harvest, I leave some for others. It's just the same story as saying, always buy whatever a child is selling in a lemonade stand, at a sidewalk stand. It's the same. It's the law of generosity. I see people apply this law of generosity in our church all the time. It's interesting that, that God, when he gave the law of generosity, he said, I want you to do this for the foreigner and for the fatherless and for the widows. We have foreigners among us these days, people that were born outside of our country, outside of our culture. Some of them are refugees. I know there's been a lot of political talk about that these days, but we have people in our own church who are yielding their ministry hours to be able to help those who are refugees in our community. To get them set up in a household, to get them set up with a job, to get them set up with a bank account, to be able to take care of their family's needs. We have people that are doing that out of the law of generosity to be able to be a blessing to foreigners. That's a calling from God. He said, do it for the foreigners and do it for the fatherless. We have families in our church, and, and many of you may be doing this, and I'm not even aware of all of the ones who are doing it. We have families in our church that will take in children who don't have a father or don't have a mother or maybe whose father is, is uh, staying in a little gated community north of here and they can't get out. And, and we have families that are taking those children in. They don't, they don't have parents who can care for them, so they're taking them in as foster children. We have foster parents among us who are saying, I'm taking in a child who's not my biological child and I'm going to make space for them in my home, in my family. That is an expression of the law of generosity among us. We have families who adopt children who say, I will give my life, the rest of my life, to be a parent, an official parent of a child that is not officially my biological child. That's an application of the law of generosity among us today. We have people that donate uh, resources to World Vision, to their children's uh, sponsorship programs. We have people that give resources to Compassion International to say, take care of a child, I want to sponsor a child. Because they're saying, I want to live the law of generosity out in my life today. And I want to do it on behalf of the fatherless. That's amazing. We host Christmas around town. This will be our second year to do it, to, to host this here. And we we, we gather together with other churches and say, let's, let's bless families that don't have enough to be able to give something nice to their children at Christmas. And when I first heard about it last year or the year before I heard about it, I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. It's just bringing more commercialism into the system. Why do we need to help poor children have commercialism? And then someone explained to me the process more, and I got to watch the process last year, and I realized that it's not just, it's not just even parents who don't have resources buying things for their children, but it's children who don't have resources who are buying things for their parents 
And as a church, we're responsible for the toy room. That's why we're bringing toys for this. But there are other churches who are joining with us, and they're responsible. Maybe, maybe one church is responsible for bringing men's clothing, and some are responsible for bringing women's clothing. And then you see these children come in, and they've got so many chips to spend in the Christmas mall at Christmas around town. They come in, and they take their chips that they were given to be able to buy a present for their mother. And your generosity in giving a gift, in bringing a toy, or someone else from another church bringing a a pair of pants for a man, or a pair of shoes for a man, or uh, a bag for a woman, or whatever the things are, to, to bring those in, and to give those, and then to have that person have the dignity to be able to buy a gift for their loved one. That's the law of generosity, changing a life. And we get to do that. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back and pick it up. Leave it for the foreigner and the fatherless, and the widow. God says, and then I will bless you. Then I will change your life while you are changing someone else's. Jesus, thank you for what you do through us. Lord, I'm so grateful when I look around the room and I see so many people that seem to be so generous and, and maybe some of them come by it naturally. That's what it seems like. Maybe some of them have just been following you so well and so in such a tuned-in way that they just know your law of generosity. And they know how you want to shape us. And they live it out. I'm grateful for them. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would take this simple law, not because it's going to save us, not because if we do it, we'll earn something from you, but simply because... We live in your blessing this way. So may we take this law of generosity, may we live it from a heart that has wrestled with it, that has struggled maybe with scarcity. May we realize that you are a God that overflows with generosity to us. And in that process, may our lives be changed, and through that process, may the lives of others be changed. And may you be honored and glorified through us in all that we do in this regard. As we live a well-crafted life before you. Thank you. Amen.